Mesut Hashem, I want to read a passage from a very special saver called Emeka Melech. It's from Rabna Tali Hertz, who was uh, one of the main Talmudim of the Arizal. This is a rare, difficult saver, and a lot of it is incomprehensible. Um, and what I can comprehend of it is still extremely difficult, but sometimes something shines through and makes sense. So I want to look a little bit. This is right in the middle of the first volume of my of my edition. This is in the Sharvav Olamatohu, describing the world of chaos or the worlds of ether, chapter 44 and 45. Chapter 44 begins, Hatiro Hazehu Kimo Incredible. We have what's called the Tiro Tata. There's a Tiro Ilah and Tiro Tata. Otherwise, it's called a shimmering, glimmering space of possibility, which he describes as like a field, a field of possibility. And there's a concept of called the ten major energies of that are called points in the worlds of chaos and the worlds of ether that precede manifestation of creation were like ten great seeds, so to speak, planted in the space of possibility, which means you have a space of possibility. As we've said several times, the space of possibility is going to define and even vivify and invigorate and drive and direct anything that can play out in that space. Far from being just some passive backdrop, space is actually a higher power that is the background life force that determines and drives anything happening in that space, very much like a womb. We imagine a mother's womb. So the baby develops and grows and unfolds inside of the womb. Well, the womb, we imagine, has properties of life, properties of its nature and character. That is a space that gives life to the fetus to become an embryo and or sorry, an embryo to become a fetus and a full-fledged baby ready to be born. We say that the womb, far from being just some passive passive backdrop space that just the baby just sits there. No, we know that the mother nourishes the baby and after Nachamu, we know that far from the womb being just some passive space that has nothing to do with the growth and development of the embryo into fetus into a little baby in the womb. No, the womb is really the portal or the space in which everything growing since the point of inception after the baby is conceived in the womb, when the male and female unite in the act of conception after that point, the baby is growing from there forward, and the mother, from what the mother eats, and all the life force is coming from the mother through the space of the womb. So the space of the womb itself is a space that is alive. It's alive with the energy of the mother, and through the life contained in the space of the womb itself, the baby is able to grow. And so that's how we can imagine the space of this universe. The space of this universe is like a womb, and it is containing the life force of the creator in a way that is greater than the universe itself and that it surrounds the universe. It's called a surrounding light, an or sove or an or makif, a surrounding light, which is the light that surrounds all space, 
and drives and invigorates and vivifies anything happening in that space. So we say that the universe was like, just like this way, was planted like seeds. This, in this instance, 10 seeds. You imagine a, a birth of, of 10 children coming out of the womb. I guess it's possible, but it's a metaphor. And so we had 10 huge seeds full of all the energy of time and space that were planted in this great tiru, in this great space of possibility compared here to a field, a field of possibilities. The field of possibilities, a possibility field, one great possibility field. He literally says that, that the world began like 10 seed-like energies containing all possible manifestations and expressions of time and space, planted in a great field, literally says, a great field. Now, if you have the concept of 10 seeds, so the idea is that from 10 originary points, so 10 types of energies will sprout in a way independently. Of course, everything in the universe is interconnected, but the point is, is that there were 10 seeds Ten energies beginning. These are these are going. These are the progenitors of of basically the ten spherot or what the ten spherot produce. That's not the main point. The main point is the idea of the space of possibility, giving life to what unfolds in that possibility. Now next point. Next Now, we know that a seed, on a simple level, again, things that appear simple are not so simple. They're the deepest things in the world. But we know that a seed cannot sprout into a plant until it rots and basically disintegrates, leaving a trace of itself behind. But it's that destruction that is necessary to pave the way for the seed to become a huge tree or a huge stock of some growth. So too, These nakudot, these ten great points of energy which contain all energy of time and space for the universe, as long as they were still stuck, contained in those ten seed point-like states, could not be used by the Creator to push forth any growth of all the energy they contained. They would have been stuck like seeds, like ten points of possibility, ten seed-like points of particular possibility stuck in that state. So the Creator had to shatter those points of energy. They had to break. So what we have is that what very important to remember that these 10 basic points of energy called these 10 dots, these 10 points, were including all possibilities of time and space, good and evil, good and evil. And so they, another reason they had to be shattered, which this tells us why seeds in general must be shattered in order to produce growth. Or in another angle of looking at this, it said that we only fully understand the Torah 
after first stumbling on it and breaking and, 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 and making a mistake in it. That's a, state, that's a statement by the rabbis, which means Torah, Torah and true knowledge, like meaning that ideas conceived of true knowledge, ideas of truth, you all, a person also has to go through a breaking process and has to stumble and fall and fail to some extent. Even Moses fails many times. <clears throat> he strikes the rock, can't get into Israel. His people, specifically the mixed multitude that he brought out of, of Egypt, they build the golden calf, and Moses ends up, what? Breaking the tablets. So even Moses falls and, and fails and, and gets things wrong. And in and, and a deep place, these catastrophes are, are planned out by the Creator that he, he sets up events that things will break at a certain point in the process to separate the good from the bad. So whether it's learning an idea, a person essentially always has to come to some wrong conclusions and then reject those before he gets to the kernel of truth. So it is with all energies and all processes. And in these ver- this very beginning of history, you had all good and evil mixed together in these ten seed-like points. And they had to be pushed out. And so there had to be an explosion. There had to be a universal explosion of all energies of future time and space, which would separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, the the energies of good possibility from the energies of bad possibility. As it says in the verses, the Hashem divided between the light and the dark. Okay, next chapter is chapter 45. It gets even more interesting. Chapter 45, by the way, the number 45 is a special number. 45 is numerical value Adam, man. Aleph is 1, Dalit is 4, equals 5. And then the, fi- and the Mem is 40. 45 is man. There's a basic, basic principle that good comes after evil. Means, when we say that good always comes after evil, another way of saying that, or perhaps a more basic way of saying that, is that emptiness and non-existence of lack of manifestation always precedes existence, Havaya. God's essential name, Hashem, Yud and He and Vav and He, means existence, Havaya. He is existence itself. Existence is not just good, not just light, but reality, truth itself. So evil, as we've said many times, is this fascinating reality that cancels reality. It's a, it's a force that, can't, that, that temporarily and experience cancels, cloaks reality. It's like a cloak, a garb of non-existence that distorts true existence. That's what evil is. It's a cloak or a garb of this force of non-existence or negative inverse existence that is distorting and darkening the true existence, the force of true existence that is, in fact, like a fruit inside of a shell, enclothing itself in that cloak of non-reality, pushing, for, pushing forward and forging through, uh, uh, through that cloak of non-reality to flip it back into reality. So, so that's a very, very amazing thing because in this, in this concept, the idea of the fully-fledged grown organism, a fully mature fruit tree, 
So the state of the fully mature fruit tree is a state of good. It's a tree that gives fruit. But in halacha, in Jewish law, for the first three years of the tree's existence, that the fruits, it's called arla. It's called arla, which is the same meaning of foreskin. It's totally, totally trafe. It's totally unkosher. So the fruits of a fruit tree from the first three years of its existence, those fruits are totally trafe, like pork, like can't eat it, not kosher. Why? It's teaching us that, in a sense, the idea of earlier stages of manifestation, earlier stages of immaturity, of, of lack of full manifestation, of a lack of full being, a lack of full completion, which precedes final completion at the fifth year of the fruit tree, when all its fruits are totally kosher, and in the fourth year, it can be eaten, the fruit, if you take it to Jerusalem. And these these five years are representing, basically there are three klipot, three totally evil klipot, which are mentioned in the second verse of the Torah, or in Ezekiel's vision, or Elijah's vision of the storm wind and the fire and the cloud. But then in the fourth year, you have the what's called the noga or the glow, which means it's an energy that can go to good or bad. So it can be eaten from the tree if you take it to Jerusalem, which means that you elevate what's called klipat noga, which is called liminal energy, which can go to good or bad. But in the fifth year, the, the fruit of that tree is totally kosher and holy, which means, again, because the first three years are representing the deepest, darkest klipa, the deepest, darkest spaces of, of evil, which means that the definition of negativity is really tied to the very idea of immaturity and lack of manifestation. They're both the same, evil and lack of maturity, lack of clarity, lack of full manifestation for the thing to reveal what it is, is the same thing as negativity. So, Hashem's intention was to create good and evil in the world. Okay, I'm going to skip now. So from this breakage of the of these ten points, these ten nakudot planted in the seeds of possibility, they first break and shatter, creates a a chain of four basic processes. First, we have what's called broken vessels. From the idea of broken vessels comes the idea of what's called tremendous severities of expression, means great particularity, great boundaries of expression, tiny moments of time, very specific expressions of shape or taste or or anything very specific or granular. From that great specificity in, in, in the energies of creation, now comes the possibility of klipot, which are called externalities, which means a space where the severities of the world can be manipulated by people and their choice to express good or bad, such that then, yes, from, this, from the granularity 
of energy which gets so granularized and particularized that it creates a space of free will or energies of free will that we can manipulate the world to express as good or bad. Of course, everything resolves into good in the end, but while we are building the world as co-creators with Hashem, these energies at such a at such a broken level can go good or God forbid bad, and such that they now are the root of possible evil. Now, Vashor Shatov, we know that mystically speaking, when these shattered energies, these shattered vessels, these shattered future expressions of, of bounded experience fall down, that they fall down with what are called sparks of light. These is called these sparks of light that fall down are called Shorashatov, the roots of, of good, meaning that there's a spark in every moment, there's a spark in everything that we encounter. It means that we can take the boundaries of experience and through our free will, which is so amazing, wield that energy of experience in a good direction if we activate that spark. It means that we, we don't understand, we, we barely experience the impact of every good choice we do. When we make a good choice and we have free will at every step of the way, it means that we take a spark of godliness. Just as God has free will, we have free will. And when we, we, when we interact with one of these sparks every, every step of the way of our life, we unleash and activate a spark of free will, which is godliness. Godliness is absolute free will. We have absolute free will. Now, we have free will inside of God's system. We can activate our free will and utilize our free will inside of the rules and using the elements and the playing pieces of his world. So we're not God. We're, we only can act within the system that binds us, that he created. Okay, so that's one difference. But still, at every second of the way, we are encountering sparks of the possibility of choice, which means we are encountering sparks of godliness. We are encountering sparks of the godliness of free choice. And when we choose correctly, means that we express the godliness of the potential choice. We become God's agent to that we chose that good thing, and now he can do that good thing through us. It's what he wants us to do at every spark along every step of our life. We could think good or bad. We could say nice or not nice. We could feel happy or we could, we could succumb to depression and anxiety and negative emotions and not work on ourselves and just not try to make it better. So when we choose, the good means that we express and activate a godly spark in that situation. It's godly because it's the spark of free choice. The power of free choice is in that in, in, in every encounter every step of the way. That means that we activate and raise up that spark of godly energy. And these sparks of godly energy fell down, these sparks of good, possible good choices, activated by our future free will choices, fell down in these shattered vessels of, of possible future experience, the shattered contours of possible future experience, in, in the analogy that are they're like droplets of liquid that are stuck to the shattered jars and vessels of, of energies of existence. Okay, it's a little abstract, but next, next he continues. 
If Hashem did not shatter these ten enormously powerful points of energy, which contain all energies and all energies of possible and future unfolding time and space, if He didn't shatter them, but He just made them Himself, then there would have been no evil. In the world, no, no malleability, no wiggle room in the creation. If there had been no breaking, there had been no wiggle room in creation for there to be possible choice to do good or bad. Because everything would have just been frozen in what it is. And the creator would have just manifested that energy from his pure power leaving us no room for us to choose and, 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 and um, manipulate and, and, and carve and sculpt our own life out of the malleable material of existence, the malleable energies of possibilities of unfolding events. He, had he not broken those, those energies of unfolding time and space and made them malleable, with sparks of possible good choices sort of fallen down into a great oceanic cosmic soup of, of possible choices which could go poorly or well depending on how we utilize that malleable energy of free will, that, those malleable scenarios that could go one way or the other. Like how are you going to choose to live in this moment? Are you going to sanctify the moment by learning doing a mitzvah, or God forbid, are you going to degrade the moment by doing a sin in that moment? That means that the energies of time and space are malleable. They're only malleable because they were initially broken. That makes them soft. That makes them, that they can be shaped and formed to an extent by our choice. Now again, they are also designed that no matter what, at the end of the process, they're going to snap into the formation that the creator has intended for them. They're, they're going to become that perfect palace that perfect messianic future, that perfect unbelievable bliss. They, they, there, there's no other way. They're bound to become perfect. The malleability is in the journey from beginning to end. Had Hashem not broken those energies, therefore, and made them malleable to our choice, there would have been no procreation in the world. Now, on a simple level, procreation Having children is representing the evil inclination because the main evil inclination is for sexual desire. But sexual desire is really something that can be obviously extremely sanctified because in a sense, the holiest, most fundamental, important mitzvah is to bear children. Because bearing children, and if a person isn't able to have physical children, to many, many, many tzaddikim, the Orachayim, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, many, many holy tzaddikim. We're, n- we're not having physical children, but we're pr- producing huge offspring with their books and with their mitzvot and with the ideas that they implanted into millions of people that lasted until, until the coming of Mashiach for all eternity. So if a person's not producing offspring, and, and we know from sources that, in a sense, it, many, many sources are telling you that the antidote, the cure to this to inappropriate sexual desire is Torah study, both 
both relations and sexual uh, encounter to create a child, as well as learning Torah and, and coming up with, not, not coming up with, but, but discovering and uncovering and producing and manifesting novelties in Torah. It's called Chedvata Deshmaitata, the, the, the passion, almost the sexual passion, if you can say such a thing, but that type of creative release that comes through Torah study, that is the, the, that is the sublimation or the, the sanctification of that type of sexual desire to make it holy, which is to produce in Torah, to, to be fruitful and multiply in the learning of Torah. So if not for evil in the negativity, which came out through the initial shattering of all energies of time and space, there would be no procreation in, in the world, whether literally procreation of children or in general procreation through one's effort to produce spirituality in the world, to, to, to learn Torah, to teach Torah, to learn it in yourself, to, to be fruitful and multiply in, the, in, in building and conceiving and birthing new neural connections in your brain. That's giving birth. That's giving birth and creating new neural connections in your brain. Well, if it, not, if it wasn't that Hashem set up the creation that babies would be born with with essentially no knowledge. All they know how to do is eat and feed and, and go to the bathroom. So a person has to build their brain, God willing. They have a, they have a, they have a, a perfectly functioning brain and they use it with their free will to learn holy information, to learn holy truth. And they cultivate the field, the possibility field of their brain and build neural connections and cultivate the garden of their brain. And make it fruitful and multiply in their own brain. That's, that's called fulfilling the mitzvah of bearing children. Even if a person, for some reason or another, is not able to have physical children, but he simply learns as much Torah as he can, he's birthing, so to speak, the children of, of, of knowledge of Torah in his brain. And, that, and, and, and even if his brain, after death, the body is shed by the soul and the brain decomposes, the physical brain might decompose as a garment that wears away. But the spiritual brain, the aspect of the soul, which was growing in tandem with the neural connections of the physical brain, so those spiritual neural connections, so to speak, those, those fruits of his labor, of his intellectual labor of learning, those, those remain forever. And those, that, those are his products. Those are his fruits. So the point being... So, in other words, it was, a, it was critical that the Creator shatter all energies of future time and space at the beginning of creation, that He shattered all of that, so there'd be, a, there'd be malleability inherent in the world, such that we could be productive, and that we can turn, listen, that we could turn the evil of non-manifestation of lack of maturation, of lack of, of growth and development of a process that we could choose by encountering those sparks of godly choice to manifest existence, which is called goodness, which is called reality and truth, to manifest reality, truth, goodness, all the same, out of evil, negativity, lack of existence, lack of, of manifestation, all the same thing. Because the Creator shattered the energies of time and space, and they fell down into a, the lowest space of non-manifestation, total lack of development, 
total infant level of barely being what it is because a person is not an infant. The real human being is the fully developed righteous Sadiq. Well, every righteous Sadiq, even Moses, even David, all of them except for Adam, right, who was formed as a fully mature adult, fascinatingly, and through his sin, now every child is born as very, very, very undeveloped. So, so the, 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 but the coming out is extremely undeveloped where, the, as the Pir Kiyavis tells us, if you want to fight arrogance and not sin, remember where you came from, from a tipa srucha, from a putrid drop, from the putrid drop of the parents who with those drops, the male drop and the female drop, that's where you come from. That's called evil in the sense that it's not obviously evil because it's going to become a, a holy human being, but it's evil in the sense that evil equals extreme degradation of lack of manifestation. But because the creator wanted that, that we should take extreme degradation of lack of manifestation and inject life into those scenarios and that we can build out existence reality, we can put Havaya, we can put Hashem, who is called Havaya, Hashem is called existence. We can take the light of the Creator's existence through our free will choice and express Havaya, express existence in extreme degradation of lack of manifestation and have children, right? Take food particles and use them to, 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 uh, to conceive a child and from the nothingness of, of base physicality of, of cells and molecules in the food that we eat, produces the seed to create a child. And that's called placing the Havaya, that's called placing a Neshama, a soul, in, in the extreme degradation of lack of manifestation, creating existences, choosing to have children, or choosing to take a brain, which could be so empty of wisdom, so full of nonsense and junk from society, but to know, to take that extreme degradation of lack of manifestation of holy knowledge in the brain and cultivate one's brain to make it a, an existence of a mind, the existence of knowledge in a person's brain, that's called that we can co-create with the Creator because He shattered everything and made it fall into a state of such degradation and lack of manifestation that gives us the opportunity to turn it back into an existence. It's called procreation. Yeah. Another fascinating point. Next paragraph. Fascinating. Yes, there. after uh, the Creator shattered all the energies of existence and made them fall down, and then He extracted tons and tons of great light out of those broken vessels, out of that space of severe ethereal nothingness to build holy worlds culminating in the Garden of Eden. And as we've said recently, really when he creates man is when all of these energies start to really come out in manifestation. When man is placed in the body, in a sense, all the universal energies start to get encased in something like a body means that they get manifestation. At that point, though, everything was pristine and there was like a great pool of negative possible energies that were laying around kind of out there in the future 
sort of below and outside the space of reality that was the Garden of Eden and all the worlds contained inside of and invigorating and causing to bloom out the Garden of Eden. So there was many, many evil energies of future negativity, the future holocausts, the future wars, the future diseases, all hanging out in this extremely degraded space of non-manifestation. And in that place, of course, they hadn't come out, so they were very much potential negative problems. They were bekoach dak nelam All the possible future evil of the 6,000 years of history post-Garden of Eden were existing in tremendously ethereal, fine, thin, barely visible, essentially non-existent form of, of tremendous potential. However, the last, what was the last act of creation? In a sense, you might say, was the sin of the tree of knowledge. Because the sin of the tree of knowledge was the final act of creating evil, of putting evil into the system of, of history. Once the cat was out of the box, once the snake was fully released and literally slept with Eve, whatever this means, and injected his filth into her, and then it got into Adam, and now everybody was infected with this negativity. Now it's in the system, and it will only be fully expunged and eradicated by the coming of Mashiach and the final outcome of history. But that sin, that fall, was really the final act of creation, and it's pretty strongly implied in this this chapter. And many tzaddikim say that, in a sense, Hashem wanted this to happen. He wanted the evil to fully come into play. I mean, in a a sense, no, he didn't. But in another sense, yes, he did, because he wanted us to really experience a world of tremendous malleability of free choice where we would really have to contend with evil. Yeah. Last, I'm going to skip one paragraph and read one more. This is this is very very interesting. So now that we have free choice and evil's in play and everything's very malleable, so there's two choices. In the realm of klipa, in the realm of where things can go good or bad, a person can either, God forbid, do a sin and put light into the possible manifestations of evil, or he can extract the good spark of doing a good choice, doing the godly thing, which is to choose correctly and avoid those energies from expressing anything bad, but instead that through his free will, he uses those, those malleable energies of possibility to express something good and holy. Just as uh, when we talk about sexuality, it can be something totally holy, which is totally reserved only between husband and wife to produce holy children. So that's taking the sparks of, of, of the sexual encounter and totally raising that spark and using the klipa, okay? Using the energy of, of sexual encounter, which can be very, very, the, the most negative thing, 
absolutely the most negative thing that can be. Because as we know, especially today, from unbridled sexual passion comes the, the very worst, most unspeakable horrors that are so violent. And so it's so unbelievably emotionally traumatizing, tra- human trafficking, okay, human trafficking of children as slaves for other people's pleasure. I mean, I mean things that you, you don't want to mention, but it's real. And it's because of unbridled sexual passion. So that energy of sexual passion or, or, or sexual connection can be something so incredibly positive, okay, so incredibly positive, or so incredibly depraved and horrible and disgusting and evil to the extreme. So a person takes that energy and raises the spark of that energy and does something extremely holy and has children has holy children that he's going to fill with the knowledge of God and, and literally bring down souls, which, are, which, are, which is called the Chalakal Kamimal. He's going to continue the expression of, of God himself in the world through the souls by having uh, relationships to, to produce holy children, or God forbid it can go the other way. Yeah. And this all explains a very fascinating esoteric and and kind of enigmatic verse from Proverbs chapter 30, verse 28. Proverbs Mishle, chapter 30, verse 28. Shamamit be'edayim titpas. The spider is, is, is grabbing in the, is, is latching on to the palace of the king or is latching on in the palace of the king. The verse is shamamit be'edayim titpas v'hi behechle ha'melech. And it means there's a spider that's grabbing on to the king's palace. What does it mean there's a spider that's grabbing on to the king's palace? This is called the energy of klipa that is grabbing what's called the arms of the world. I mean, the arms, the arms are the extensions, the possible extensions. It means that through the energy of klipa, all possible extensions in the world can extend in a good or bad direction. We know that there are always spiders found in the, in the walls and in the cracks of a building. Means, Rem is the klipa. This is a hint to the idea of klipa. We'll stop you here. These, the heichalot of the tamurot. The heichalot, the palaces, is the building out of the world. And the klipa is grabbing onto these energies of possible manifestation of the building out of the palaces, of the structures, of what comes out in time and space. You have in New York City the holy building of, of, of 770, of the headquarters of the, of the Lubavitch movement. And not so far away, you have very, very low degraded buildings built for very negative activities. And that's what it means. That the building out of the world can go one way or the other because of, of klipa, because of the breaking and the malleability of, of reality that we can make a good or bad.